But we began this morning by preaching out of Matthew chapter number 1, chapter number 2. And we preached this morning on Christmas according to Matthew. And we looked at the regal perspective that Matthew gives of uh, the Christmas story. Matthew, the book of Matthew, presents Christ as king of the Jews and then, by extension, as king of kings. And uh, the book of Matthew, in presenting him that way, gave particular emphasis to certain royal aspects of the Christmas story. But tonight I want to take a few moments and I want to focus in on a figure, a character, that's found in uh, the Christmas story. You know, there's a lot of uh, people we've stuck in the Christmas story that ain't found there. Amen? Uh, I have still ain't found that little drummer boy. Somebody say amen to that. Or say pa-rumpa-pump-pump or something. And uh, I've never been able to find him. I've always looked for the wise men to be showing up at the manger, but they never have. Amen? And uh, I've, I've looked for several other folks. That innkeeper, you won't find him anywhere uh, in the narrative. He might have existed, might not have. And some of y'all that have looked at our little nativity scene might have noticed we have a plastic dinosaur in there. Anybody notice that? And you might be wondering why. We used to have a member here, Ralph Turner. And Ralph is with the Lord now. But uh, one year Ralph put that dinosaur in there. And uh, he's just doing it just out of meanness. But we asked him, we said, Ralph, why is he in there? And he said... Well, he's got every bit as much a right to be there as the wise men do. Amen? <laughs> Just as scriptural for him to be there. So ever since he went home to be with the Lord, we've always put it in there. Ralph don't care. He's around the feet of Jesus. But it, it gives us a chuckle every year and reminds us of him. But really, when you look at the Christmas story, uh, you'll find there to be essentially three groups of people that are present in the Christmas story. Uh, and each of the three present to us a different thought, an important truth, about how we are to respond to the Lord. You know, uh, the Lord isn't about Christmas. Christmas is about the Lord, if I could say it that way. Christmas season, as we said this morning, is not about the candy canes and the poinsettias and the presents and the trees and the lights. I don't have a problem with any of those things, but that's not really what it's about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the Incarnation. It's about God's love for humanity in that He would send His only begotten Son that He might die for lost sinners. And as such, I think that one of the great shames when we come to the Christmas story is that we allow sort of the the cultural context and framework of the Christmas season to hem in our perspective. We don't see the greater truths that are found within these passages. The three groups of people are, uh, of course, Joseph, and we're going to preach on Joseph tonight. He was, we might say, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Mary, the mother of Christ. Nothing divine about Mary except that holy thing that was within her, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, I believe, the shepherds. The Bible's clear that they were present on the night that the Lord was born. And we learn a great truth about rejoicing and praise and testimony when we look at the life of the shepherds. But Matthew's account gives us what is essentially the most extensive passage dealing with Joseph, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus. There are three Josephs found in the Word of God. All three of them, in some way, connect with the Lord Jesus Christ. The first Joseph was the son of Jacob in the Old Testament. And he was a picture of Jesus Christ. I don't know that there is a more vivid or more extensive picture, type type of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament than Joseph. The second Joseph is the one that we'll read about tonight. And he was, if I can use this term loosely, a parent of the Lord Jesus. 
he, he functioned in that role of being a steward over the raising of the Son of God. And then the last Joseph is a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a patron of the Lord Jesus. It was Joseph's tomb that was borrowed for the Lord Jesus to be buried in. The name Joseph means he will add, or it means let him add. The Lord will add. And in all three of them, that's what we see. In Joseph's life, it was the Lord, the Joseph, the son of Jacob. It was the Lord that made the difference. The Lord that brought him out of the field all the way through the prison house to the palace in Egypt. And of course, Joseph of Arimathea, it was the Lord that added meaning to his life. He looked at that Sanhedrin. He looked at all of the pomp and circumstance and the deadness of it. And he said, there's got to be something more to this thing than just the vain repetitions and ramblings and long speeches. And he found in Christ what is meaningful and what matters. And this man, Joseph, the, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus, we find that God added immeasurably to his life. Now, I want you to notice with me, we'll begin reading verse 18. We'll read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for another opportunity. Lord, it's a precious opportunity. It's a valuable opportunity to be in your house tonight. For Lord, we're going to preach the Word of God. The Spirit of God is going to be stirring hearts. And we're given once again another blessed opportunity to uh, obey you and your Word and to allow you to work in our lives. I pray it not be in vain. Lord, we know if we surrender unto you that it won't be in vain. Your word will not return void. Pray that you do a work in our lives that might redound unto eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if I was to give you one word that in my mind sums up the life of Joseph, it would be the word surrender. The Bible calls Joseph a just man. And certainly that was a component of his character that we'll talk about here in a few moments. But Joseph is a man that finds himself in quite a bit of a predicament. Uh, his faith and his flesh are in direct conflict one with another. How many of you know this to be true, that for every born-again believer, there's going to be times, many during the day, but then large, broad, big, monumental occasions in life where your flesh and your faith are going to come in conflict one with another. We call this a crisis moment. A crisis is not just a calamity. A crisis is a moment where a decision must be made. And Joseph found himself in a crisis moment. He has espoused himself to this young girl and her unto him. They're about to be married. They're waiting to be married. They are, are performing the appropriate uh, the period of, of waiting. And all of a sudden, Mary is found with child. 
Uh, the Bible never records that Mary tells Joseph that she has uh, conceived this child of the Holy Ghost, but I think it's safe to imagine that she probably did. And he is faced with a choice. He must either dismiss what she said, disregard what God had told Mary and the promise of God. You say, well, how, did he, how do you know he knew something about the promise of God? You can't tell me Mary didn't also tell him about the promise of God. God had appeared to Mary before she uh, ever was conceived of that child. And, uh, and God made clear that this child was the promised child, the Messiah sent from God. God manifest on this earth and God gave her several scriptures of which this would be a fulfillment of. Joseph is now faced with this choice. He can either believe Mary and believe God, or he can choose to yield and relent to what are no doubt his deepest suspicions and fears and choose to short-circuit the plan of God. The fact is, as I said, in many ways, a hundred times a day, but certainly at big moments in life, we are thrust into a position of crisis and of decision-making where we have two paths set before us. And we can either yield to our fears and yield to our flesh, or we can choose to operate in faith and see God do something great. In Joseph's life, he had a choice to make, and we'll see that he made the right decision. It's good to know that when we're at those moments of decision, God isn't silent with us, just as he wasn't silent with Joseph. When, when Joseph needed a word from heaven, God gave him one. Why? Because he was sincere in his pursuit of truth. I want you to notice three simple thoughts and then we'll close tonight. First, I want you to think with me for a moment about Joseph's virtue. The Bible uses only one descriptive word about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. It says in verse number 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. What does it mean to be just? Well, best as I can tell, there are three basic essential definitions. To be a just man, of course, in many ways, means a person that has been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. For instance, the Bible talks about Lot in the book of Second Peter, says that God delivered just Lot. Now, there wasn't nothing about Lot's behavior that looked like it was just. There was nothing about his behavior that looked as though it was righteous. There was nothing about Lot. If you'd seen him from the distance, you know, it's funny, we'll play these games sometimes. We'll say, well, so-and-so died. Do you think they saved? Well, I don't know. They didn't live this. They didn't live that. Hey, you don't know. You don't know about nobody but you. And there's a lot of folks walking around that don't know about themselves. Listen, the Bible says that a person can get so backslid that they forget that they were washed from their old sins. And if you'd been playing that fruit inspection game with Lot, you would have stamped him lost. You said, ain't, ain't no way that man knows God. But the Holy Word of God says he was a just man. Nothing about his behavior would bespeak that. But God looketh on the inward heart, not just the outward appearance. He does look on the outward appearance, but he also looks on the inward heart. And God knew that Lot had placed effectual faith in him, had had righteousness imputed unto him. He was a just man. Well, I believe that Joseph was just in this respect. I don't believe, hey, listen, I don't know a lot of saved people that could exercise the faith that Joseph does, let alone lost people that don't know what faith is. But Joseph exercises great faith, before we close out this passage, in the word and promise of God. Then the term just can mean someone that is fair, someone that is equitable. Uh, of course, I believe that Joseph probably was a fair-minded person. Although, if I'm being real honest, I don't believe that Joseph could could really be defined as fair. Fair would have been him making a public example of Mary. 
He wasn't fair. I'm preaching my message before I get to it, but I'm on to anyway, because it, it feels real good right here. He wasn't just, he was merciful. He didn't make a public example out of her when he could have. But then there's a third definition for the word just, and this is what I believe God's saying here. It means someone that is law-abiding. Law-abiding. I see three qualities in these verses about Joseph that I think we ought to uh, meditate, ponder on for just a moment. Let me say, number one, that Joseph was a lawful man. The reason it says, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away privately, was because he could have done what many people did. He could have just up and walked off. But he did not do this because God had commanded that if a man put away his wife, he's to give her a bill of divorce. He could have just abandoned her, but he did not abandon her. Instead, he gave respect and reverence to the Old Testament law. And he had a choice that he could make. He could make a public example of her, or he could put her away privately. But nowhere within the law of God was it permitted for him to simply abandon her. He was a man that had great reverence for the Word of God. Let me tell you something. If you don't have respect for the Word of God, you're not ready to weather storms. You're not ready for crisis moments. I'll tell you right now, until this book becomes your guide, until this book becomes your anchor, you're not ready for what life's got to throw at you. The world tells you, and listen, I'm not against an education. I'm not against being wise in a sense concerning this world's wisdom. Uh, You know, the the Bible says we're to be wise as serpent and uh, and and harmless as doves, gentle as doves. I'm not against those things. But this world tells you that if you have a good education, a big old fat bank account, and worldly wisdom, that you're ready. But I'm here to tell you, you are not ready for the things of this life until you have a healthy respect for God's Word. Listen, I think it's good to have a good familiarity and, and memorization of God's Word. But even if you ain't got those, if you got a Bible, you know where to go to get the answers. If you ain't got a respect for the Word of God, can't nobody help you. Can't nobody help you. Joseph was a lawful man. He believed that the Bible was the Word of God. And this guided and directed him, even in this most difficult crisis. How easy would it have been? Listen, we live in a day today where we're all hooked up to a grid. Everything's hooked together. Social media, uh, your debt, your, uh, your, your business, everything's hooked together. You couldn't run if you tried. People say, well, I'm going to live off the grid. There ain't no off the grid. Off the grid is now on the grid. Everything's on the grid. You can't get off the grid. Die, that's about the only way you can get off the grid. Even then they'll have you voting. There ain't no getting off the grid. But Joseph lived in a day he could have got off the grid. He could have just slipped off. He could have just left. He could have left her high and dry. He could have walked off. What kept him from doing it? What kept him from running from his problems? That's what a lot of God's people are doing today. They're running from their problems. A healthy respect for the Word of God. He said, I can't just up and walk off. What would God think of that? I have a responsibility. He was a lawful man. But notice this, the Bible says not willing. I like that, man. Not willing. That tells you something about where his will was. What directed and defined and guided his will. Not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. Now listen carefully now. He was a lawful man, but he was a merciful man. His justness was not justice, it was mercy. He had a choice as to how he could treat her and still be within the confines of God's Word. The letter of the law killeth. Am I right? 
and it could have killed her. He would have had every right when she was within child, according to Old Testament Scripture, to bring her under swift and devastating punishment. And nobody would have thought less of him for it. But instead, what did he do? He said, I've got two choices, justice or mercy. And as Paul says in the New Testament, hey, mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He said, I'll choose mercy. I could, and you can't tell me at this moment in time that he doesn't believe 100% that that child is not divine. He doesn't believe what Mary has told him at this point. So how do you know that? Because God wouldn't have done showed up and told him otherwise if he had already believed it. He believes he's been lied to. He believes he's been deceived. He believes he's been made a fool of. And he had every scriptural right to nail her to the wall over it. But he says, instead I choose mercy. Hey, listen, you'll be a lot better equipped for the crisis moments in life if you let mercy be your guide. If you let mercy, if you err on the side of mercy. So, preacher, what happens if they get away with it? No, no. With our God, don't nobody get away with anything. So go ahead and err on the side of mercy. Listen, if you want, he, he that, uh, sh- he that desireth mercy must show himself merciful. So go ahead, go ahead and show mercy. They may in your mind get away with it, but you know what? It may be that God shows mercy on you in a matter later on because you showed mercy on them. He was a merciful man, but then I want you to notice he was a careful man. Verse 20. The Bible says, but while he thought on these things. Now that fascinates me. You know why? Because that's not what I would have done. If I'm being honest, it's not what I would have done. In fact, I probably wouldn't have even been merciful if I'm being real honest about it. I would have probably took every liberty I could to see that she paid for it. But I'll tell you this, whatever decision I made, it's probably not something I would have pondered on. You know what it tells me? He was a man guided by his meditative, and let me be careful how I say this. I don't, when I say meditative, I don't mean little symbols on your hands, um, all that Eastern stuff. I, when I say meditative, I mean he pondered. He thought on what was the right course of action. You know what you'll find? <laughs> it's even in my message, but hey, listen, God showed up while he was being careful, while he was thinking on it. Sometimes you say, God never showed up. Well, you might have not thought on it long enough. You might have rushed to judgment. You might have rushed to make a decision. I know there's times in crisis moments where a decision must be made immediately. But I'll say this, we'll never be hurt by giving God the right of way and letting Him lead and guide us. Joseph was thinking on these things. He was a careful man. If it had been me, I would have made a rash decision. I know me. And I would have messed the whole thing up. Joseph was a more righteous man than I. Because he took his time and he was patient and he waited on God. And he was careful about what he was doing. He pondered, he thought, he meditated on these things. We see Joseph's virtue. Then I want you to notice Joseph's vision. The Bible says, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. God makes himself manifest to Joseph. And gives him the right course of action. Let me tell you something. When we don't know what to do, if we'll just wait on God and seek God and pray and try to understand God's face and try to find God's will through His Word, then sooner, it may not be as soon as we want, but sooner or later, God will speak. God will make Himself clear. <coughs> we get in a hurry on God. It's no wonder. 
We don't have a lot of time, but God has all the time. And He does things in perfect timing. So if we can learn to just settle our spirit and be patient and wait on God and pray and seek God's face, and we'll find out that while we're waiting, while we're seeking, not while we're not waiting, not while we're not seeking, not while we got our decision, our mind already made up, but if we're waiting on God, then at the right time, the Lord will speak. And the Lord appeared unto Joseph. And when he does this, this vision that he gives him, it causes Joseph to do three important things. I want you to notice them with me. The end of verse number 20. The first thing that the Lord, angel of the Lord said unto him is, Joseph, thou son of David. That's an important phrase, by the way, thou son of David. Tells him that he has a role in this plan, in this thing that God's doing. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Let me say the first thing this vision caused him to do was to regard the power of God. At this moment, Joseph's thinking, she can't be pregnant with God's child. God ain't never had a child before. God's never done this before. It'd be an impossibility. No doubt he was saying to himself, this is what I'd be saying. I'd be saying, you dummy, she's plagued you for a fool. Uh, What's the matter with you? Why would you think this would even be possible? Hey, listen. With men, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And it might be sometimes that God's doing something in your life that you would have never figured on Him doing. I'll tell you this, there's been a lot of things God's done in my life that I wouldn't have planned for myself, that I never looked to happen. The fact that I'm standing in front... There was never a moment in my life growing up where I thought to myself, one day I want to be a preacher of the Word of God. God knew what He was doing. God orchestrated. God guided. Listen, there might be things that God is accomplishing through His power. God can do all things. You might look at the situation and say, it can't get any better, it can't be changed, nothing can happen. But don't short-sell the power of God. I'm not trying to dictate to you what the will of God is. There's lots of things that are within the realm of the power of God that are not within the scope of the will of God. But I'm saying that there's nothing that's within the scope of the will of God that's not within the realm of the power of God. Anything that God desires to do, He can do. And in Joseph's life, the first thing that God says to him is, Joseph, she's told you the truth. That child is conceived of the Holy Ghost. You might have not thought it was possible. You might not be looking for it. You might not be expecting it. But like it or lump it, Joseph, God's doing a work here. And you can either get in on this thing or you can get out of the way. But God has a plan. I like that phrase, thou son of David. You know, that's only found 25 times in your Bible. And and a good majority of the time, it's referencing literal sons of David and uh, Solomon, really, more than anybody. But, of course, in the New Testament, about three or four times, Christ is called by that title, Son of David. But other than a literal son of David and the Son of God, the only other person in the Bible called the Son of David is Joseph. Why is that? Because God's revealing to Joseph that he has an important role in this plan that's unfolding, that God's doing a work and bringing the Messiah into the world, and that he has an important function in it. Isn't it interesting? You know, Joseph, probably in that moment, you be patient with me. I'll I'll catch this rabbit if I chase it. You know, don't you know that Joseph felt like he was going to have to give everything up to do God's will? The only reason, listen... Listen to how he's described. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Now that's the opposite of the way that it'd normally be in a home. Normally it'd be the daddy mentioned first, then the mama, then the children. 
But God does things backwards of what man does them, or man does them backwards of what God does them. Joseph had to take the lesser role. And I'm not saying he wasn't head of his home, but I'm saying in the narrative of Scripture, what normally he would have occupied the prominent role in the home, instead he operates the diminutive role as Scripture presents him. Not that he wasn't the head of his home, but we don't think of it as the home of Joseph. We think of it as the home of Jesus. You know, I found this, that when God's doing a work, Jesus will increase and I'll decrease. I found that when God's doing work, it ain't going to be about me. It's going to be about Him. And Joseph probably thought he was giving something up, but now let's flip that thing around. Would you and I even know who Joseph is if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? See, here's the reality. You can either give the right away to God, relent to Him, yield, and let God's will be exercised in your life. You say, preacher, I want to run my life. You ain't going to run your life. The devil's going to run your life or Christ is going to run your life. So your choice is either to let the devil run it and run you into the ground or let God run it and you'll wind up with more than what you would have had in the first place. Joseph probably thought, boy, I'm giving up a lot by taking this role. I'm not even the boy's literal father. And yet the only reason we know his name is because he was willing to submit himself and surrender to the will of God. God always adds, just like his name says, let him add. Joseph, God always adds to your life. Joseph probably thought he was giving something up when he allowed Christ to be the firstborn. Firstborn was a legal term. It wasn't just a term relative to who was born first. It was that, no question. But it's also a legal term. The firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance. And Joseph could have looked at it and said, why? why would I allow him to have a double portion and my children to get less when he's not even my child? And yet at the end of the day, we don't hear of Jesus. By the, by the time that Christ enters his earthly ministry, Joseph's nowhere to be found. You know what that means? That probably means that Joseph had already died. And yet we find that Jesus is not a wealthy man. Uh, you know why? Because Joseph never did have much of anything as it related to this temporal world. But oh my, when he entered the gates of glory, just imagine what awaited the man that was willing to stand in for God Almighty in the role of stewardship in the home of Jesus Christ. He probably thought he was giving something up, you know, when he was doing the will of God. But God's not going to be a debtor to anybody. You don't ever get... You, there may be things you have to let go of to do the will of God, but you don't ever wind up in worse shape doing the will of God. Joseph didn't. He, he regarded... I told you I'd catch it. We catched it. It's dead. It's We Elmer fudded that rabbit. It's dead. It caused him to regard the power of God. God could do something and was doing something that he would have never imagined. Then number two, look at verse 21. The Bible says, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. First time, as it relates directly to the Son of God, that that word Jesus fell from the lips on here, here on earth was whenever God was speaking to Joseph. First time Jesus was spoken in the ears of Joseph. You know what that tells me? It caused him to recognize the plan of God. You know, we, oftentimes when we're at a crisis moment in our lives, we struggle to see the direction that God's taking us. That's one of the great struggles. I'll tell you this, man. I can bear a lot if I know what's going on. I can if I know there's an end game, if I can see the path, if I can see tangible steps and we're moving in the right direction, I can bear a lot. But I'll tell you what I can't bear. I can't bear not knowing what's going on. 
I don't like that. That's how Job felt. <laughs> Job, his biggest complaint was he couldn't figure God out. He said, I go forward, you're not there. I go backwards, I can't find you on the right hand. I can't see you on the left hand, you're not there. He just couldn't find God in all of it. Joseph, no doubt, was sitting there thinking, man, God can't be doing anything here. God can't have a plan in all this mess. And yet, the greatest plan of all of human history was unfolding in the life of Joseph. It tells you that sometimes God is doing something greater than we could imagine, but we can't see it. It has to be shown to us. There are some things, I want to be careful how I say this, but there are some things that can only be derived through revelation. This is true in a broad sense, meaning the revelation of Scripture. But now all Scripture has been given. Am I right? That's the reason I know the Bible's closed, because Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. But there are certain things that can only be comprehended through illumination. The Holy Ghost has to make it plain to you. And He doesn't do this through a funny feeling running up your spine. He doesn't do it through some kind of vision, not anymore. He does it through the inspired, preserved Word of God. But Joseph, he needed to have an understanding of the plan of God. And through this vision, he was able to recognize. And then look at verse 22 through 23. The Bible says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I like this. You know what God did before he left Joseph alone? He gave him a promise to hold on to. He said, the reason all this is happening in your life, Joseph, is because God has foreordained and prophesied that this child would be born, that this child would not just be of God, but would be very God, that He would walk amongst men, that He would manifest and express and exhibit God to humanity. This child is not just a child of God. It is the God child. It is God with us. Joseph now had something to anchor his ship to. He had something to hold on to. He had a promise from the Lord. When times got difficult, you don't, listen, don't you believe for one second that the last hard time in Joseph's life was found right here in Matthew chapter one. Throughout the, when Christ was older, they said this about him, we be not born of fornication implying that Christ was. You can't tell me that started when he was a grown man. They'd been saying that all along. You know that when Joseph walked through the market with his family in tow, that there were whispers that went on. You know there were rumors that spread about. You know that every time that he walked through proud with his family around him, that there was somebody that leaned over and said, well, you know that oldest. That oldest was conceived before they were even together. And Joseph hadn't even known her yet. A lot of hard times to come. But you know what? I guarantee that as the years rolled on, every time those hard times came, Joseph probably cast his mind backwards to Isaiah chapter 7 and said, (laughs) Emmanuel, God with us. There may be naysayers, there may be critics, there may be people that want to whisper and want to snicker, but I know who this child is. This is God in the flesh. Hey, listen, a lot of times at a crisis moment, you say, what can I do, preacher? You just, you just cast your anchor on the promises of God. It'll give you something solid. It'll give you something meaningful, something that when everything else is changing, never changes. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Christ said, but my word shall not pass away. 
I don't know what may change in your life tomorrow, but I know the Bible will still be there. In those crisis moments, if you've allowed the Word of God to be the directing element and force in your life, if you've done what you've done because God commanded it, then it doesn't matter what happens, what results, what changes. You've got something you can anchor to. You can say, I may not ask for it to happen this way, but I did this in obedience to God's Word, and I know God is always right. I want you to notice a final thought, and I'm done tonight. I see Joseph's virtue. I see his vision. But finally, I see his victory. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, to you, that may look like just the tidying up of Lucian's. You may think, well, the climactic and dramatic part was the vision, it's over. But this was the crucial moment. Joseph awoke from the dream, and he had a choice to make. He could either choose to yield and give in to his fears, or he could do exactly what God had commanded and take Mary to be his wife. He made the right decision. In this, he gained victory over four things. Think about them with me. First... He gained victory over his fury. So how do you know he was furious? Well, generally, happy men don't put away their wives. He was angry, no doubt. It's a miracle he didn't want her uh, punished to the fullest extent that God's law would allow. It's not because he wasn't angry. Of course he was angry. But he wakes up and he finds a way. And I, I don't know. There's... I guess everybody will understand this, but I think men will particularly understand this. That would have been a hard thing to move past. Even if you knew. Even if you believed the child was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Even if you believed that it was of God. Even if you believed everything that Mary told you. To be able to move past what would undoubtedly be humiliation. And, and, and finding a way to move past what may have been harsh words spoken as they tried to hash it all out. But you know what he did? He found a way to put it all past him. And he gained victory over his fury. And he took her to be his wife. He found love in his heart for Mary. That love just only continued to grow further. Can I give you just a little word of counsel? That'd be all right. Sometimes love is an act of the will. Some of the most loving things you can do is when you don't feel like you love somebody. For in those moments, you're choosing to love them more than you love yourself. He gained victory over his fury. Number two, he gained victory over his fears. Preacher, how do you know he was afraid? Because the angel had told him, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Well, what was he afraid of? Well, he was probably afraid of the opinions of men. Probably afraid of an uncertain future. Probably afraid he was being fooled and deceived. The list probably goes on and on of things that he was afraid of. But faith always triumphs over fear if it's based on the truth of God's Word. Faith that's not based on God's Word is fantasy. It's not faith. But when it's based on the Word of God, then it's faith. And faith has the, the ability, the power to triumph over fear. Perfect love, the Bible says, casteth out fear. Has the ability to triumph over it. You know what you'll find? If, you, if what you're doing, you're doing because it's the will of God in accordance with the Word of God, and you're exercising biblical faith in your venture, you'll find that God will give you courage when things are tough. The courage to do the right thing, the courage to make the right decision. It won't come oftentimes 
while you're standing at a distance from the crisis. But in that moment, God will give you what you need to overcome those fears. He gained victory over his flesh. So how do you know that? Look at verse 25. The Bible says he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. I'm not going to dwell on it, and I certainly am not going to be crass. But suffice it to say that that element of the, of the marital relationship was off limits for a period of time, for a myriad of reasons. We talked about some of them this morning. It could have been the angel instructed that, and it's not recorded for us. It could have been something that Joseph did of his own decision-making. But one way or another, he managed to subdue what would have been natural desires so that he might regard and, and pay reverence towards the plan of God. Listen, if you're going, in those crisis moments, if you're going to see God get the victory, then you're going to have to, you're going to have to crucify the flesh. Your ambitions, put them to bed. Put them down. Your desires, lay them low. Go ahead and remind yourself that you ain't in this thing for you. It ain't about you. It ain't about your ego. It ain't about your, your contentment. It ain't about your leisure. It's about God. And that's what Joseph did. He said, I have every scriptural right to go in and know my wife. But that's not what would be expedient. Paul said, all things are lawful for me. Not all things are expedient. You know what that means? That means there might be a lot that you can get away with that ain't good for you. There might be a lot that is not explicitly forbidden in Scripture, but in the context of that moment, will not exhort you unto good works. If you're constantly living your life by what is lawful, in Paul's words, you've fallen from grace. Not meaning you've lost your salvation. It wasn't your salvation to lose or keep in the first place. But meaning that this high holy standard and call to living under grace that God has called us to, you've fallen short of that. You're in bondage under the elements and rudiments of this world if you're living by what's lawful instead of by what's expedient. He said, I'm going to subdue my flesh and I'm going to err on the side of safety and I'm going to do what would please the Lord. But then I like this last phrase. Bible says, he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he. Notice that. Earlier, it said that they would call him Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, it denotes he in the singular. He. He called his name Jesus. Joseph is not a bystander to the will and providence of God now. He's a participant. And you know what happened? Because he was willing to obey God. You and I sit here today, and that name of Jesus, there's none other name given, given under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. That name of Jesus that you and I called out to and called on and received Christ as our Savior was given to this Christ child by a surrendered, submitted Father that was willing in spite of all of the context and all of the pressures to say, I'll do the will of God even when it's not easy. I'll go God's way even when it's not easy. Let me say, he gained victory over the foe. Let me tell you something, there's no name more greatly feared in the halls of hell than the name of Jesus. And it was Joseph that said, call him Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Call him Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. Say, preacher, how can I get victory in my life? Oh, not by striving, by surrendering. Surrender to the will of God. Surrender to the Word of God. 
Lord, this is my, this is your life that I'm living. I yield it unto you, whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever you ask of me, I'll give it unto you. You know what you'll find? You'll never wind up the worse for it. If you'll give it to Him and let Him add, then He'll always add more to your life than what He ever asks of you.